going to go straight into the word. We're going to go straight into the word. And we've been in a two-part series. Does anyone remember the title of the series? Eternity series. We've been touching on eternity. And even though talking about eternity is big and vast and there's so much to get through and so much to share, I've been focusing on two main um, particular areas on the topic of eternity. Part one was entitled um, The Author of... The author of time, and we looked at God and the author of time and things like that. If I can please start the timer so that I'll make sure that I'm keeping in touch with time. So if you can help me start my timer, I'm making sure I'll be in touch with time. So part one was looking at the author of time and how we use our time and also how God sees time and, and the best ways for us to maximize our time and knowing how time works in the various seasons of time. And for those of you guys that haven't had the opportunity to hear that, I would encourage you guys to check that out via our YouTube channel or via our Apple podcast or Spotify for those that have those apps which are online. And part two, I'll tell you the title in a short second. But before that, if you can please turn with me from to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to read from verses 55 through to 58. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read from verse 55 through to 58. As per usual, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. The New King James Version. Great. Are you guys there? Are you guys just waiting for the screen behind me, right? All right. And it goes as follows. Verse 55. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you this morning as we look at the second and the final part of the Eternity series. I thank you, O Lord, for just being with us and guiding us. I thank you for your living word. I thank you for the victory that conquered death and conquered sin. I thank you for your love that conquers all. I thank you for guiding us. I thank you for your morning mercy that is new every morning that gives us a, a, another chance to, to live, to breathe, to walk, uh, and to be filled in you, be filled by you, uh, and to be directed by you. I thank you, O Lord, for everyone here. I pray that you continue to bless the message. You bless the listeners, including myself, O Lord. And we pray that we won't only be hearers of your word, but be doers of your word. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen? Amen. 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 In the Eternity series in here, we're seeing Apostle Paul talk about, oh, death, where is your sting? And in that, in that, in that fashion, almost looking at a bee sting. Where, and anyone here like bees? Anyone here like bees? And you love bees? All right, okay, cool. And some people, when it comes to bees, and they see, usually see the bigger the bee, they usually get more scared. Oh, my days, they think it's the bigger the sting, but we usually know it's the wasps that are the most dangerous ones, right? But I always used to use the example that if you ever saw a lion coming for you in your house and it roared but it had no teeth no claws and it just roared would you guys be as scared as one with teeth and with claws how many of you guys would be equally as scared <laughs> there's always a few in the same how many of you guys would be like oh the danger's minimal how many of you guys danger's minimal right and we're seeing here 
Paul, Apostle Paul using a similar analogy with, with a bee or a wasp or, or, or danger without the danger, where you could be scared by what they may look like, but you realize they have no power over you anymore. We begin to see the example of him using death as danger. And many of us, how many of us want to go to heaven? How many of us don't want to go to heaven? How many of us are not going to raise my hand no matter what I say today? All right, thank you for your honesty. Because some of you guys are like, mm. all right, so we'll go again. How many of you guys want to go to heaven one day? See, I put one day as a disclaimer. How many guys don't want to go to heaven? How many guys don't believe in heaven? All right, I was going to do a deliverance session there, right there, right? But one thing I've come to realize is that everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to die. I remember when I was a youngster, I used to say time and time and time again, like, listen, let me just die in my sleep. Like, when I'm old and I've lived my best life, let me just sleep and wake up like, oh, heaven, yeah, this is life. Yeah, I made it. Thank God I made it. But then when we begin to see some of the things that's happened to people in scripture, some people died horrible deaths. Not only in scripture, but also in our lives, whether we look at the news, whether we look at history, whether we look at various things that's happened in life, some people have had what we define as peaceful deaths, and some people have had un unfortunate deaths, and some people have had traumatic deaths, and some people have had painful deaths. But I'm sure for you and myself, many of us will always love to have that pain-free type of death, that soft life, that peaceful life, that transition, like, yo, Jesus, yeah, I'm here, I made it. But today's title in part two of the Eternity series is entitled, The Day Death Died. The Day Death Died. I believe it's important, even though it's difficult at times, to speak of death. For some of us, that might be a loved one. I'll never forget, around about the 7th or 8th of August, two years ago, I shared a series, and God placed on my heart um, a series of new beginnings, and um, I was praying about that, and um, as I delivered that sermon, I, I felt accomplished in that those that listened to the sermon were blessed by it. I was on my journey home from sharing that sermon and received a phone call from my, my little sister. Uh, in, she, was her, she, she was in shock. She was crying. She was wailing. She was upset. I said, Dari, Dari, uncle's died. Uncle's died. Uncle's died. And I was like, wow, God, you're, you have a different sense of humor. I've just shared a, a sermon about new beginnings. And on my way home, I've just found out that my uncle in Nigeria has passed away. The uncle that was dearly loved, the uncle that was an architect. And maybe it's funny how me studying architecture, my background, there was some relation to that. A very, very intelligent man that also went into politics said, uncles died, uncles died, uncles died. And um, I'll never forget speaking. I remember speaking to my mom and her sister and they were close and I saw them come together. But sometimes, how many of us know that uh, many of us are not really good when it comes to dealing with grief, Right. And um, dealing with grief can be quite hard and challenging at times. But if there's one thing I've realized that death, the topic of death, the conversation of death, at times has a way of paralyzing us, paralyzing our thoughts, our purpose, and even our emotions, paralyzing us. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if there's one thing I wanted to say to begin with is that Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has conquered death. And I believe that's a good time to say amen there. Because why do I say that? Because the enemy 
wants us to make us believe that death is the final stage of man. Death is the final stage of man. But Jesus has conquered death. And my point number one is that sin, um, sin is death and eternity is a life-giving gift. Sin is death, but eternity is a life-giving gift. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, um, 6 verse 23, it goes as follows. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if there's one thing I, I want us to, to take from today, or one of many things I love us to take from today, is that even though the topic of death might be difficult, I want us to understand that we also serve a king of kings that tackled and conquered that very difficult thing. That difficult thing, that thing we don't like to talk about, that thing we sometimes see in movies or, or when, we, when we're going through life, that we can't escape it. Unfortunately, and fortunately, we all have a date with death. But those that go on that date with death, that have Christ in their heart and in their life, conquer that very thing that people are running from, are fleeing from. That people nowadays are trying to use various types of technology to extend their lives. Because they're still trying to escape that very thing that everybody will one day have an appointment with. If there's one thing I love about that appointment is that God has told me that no matter which way I may experience that appointment with death, my Lord and Savior has conquered it. He's conquered it. You see, we live in a time and an age where Benjamin Franklin said there are two things that are certain, death and taxes. The road man or the gangsters in this life say, I'm going to ride for my guys. I'm going to ride for you. And if you've seen some of those when they may have committed a crime and they now have to be in front of a judge and they're told the amount of time they may spend in prison, you realize that the very person that said, I'm going to ride for you to the end, might be snitching on his very friend in order to reduce his time. Unfortunately, some of those have actually gone through with the words that they've said, I'm going to ride for you unto death. And some, at times, are willing to even take another life, but not knowing that there is more to life than death in and of itself. Death. Marriage vows also talk about death to some degree. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and to death do us part. I've seen weddings where people are like, oh, God forbid. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Because as much as you say God forbid, we still have a date with death. But one thing we want to say is that God forbid premature death. But the ultimate thing is that God, teach us to have the right heart posture, to seek you and know you, knowing that as you've conquered death, I don't fear death anymore. I don't fear the sting of the bee. I don't fear the lion that has no more claws, no more teeth to attack me or devour me. I don't fear death anymore. That doesn't mean I want to invite death prematurely into my life, but I will not allow death or the, or the talk of death to make me fear, to make me wallow, to make me paralyzed, to make me stagnant, because I know the King of kings and the Lord of lords that has finally conquered death. And I always want to, as I look at death, I always wonder about Lazarus. If there's one thing I always say is that I believe Lazarus laughs in the face of death. Lazarus laughs in the face of death. In John chapter 11, from verse 38 through to 44, and I'm just going to pick out a few pieces from that. We see Jesus having a conversation 
with Martha. And it goes from verse 8. It says, Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone was laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead for four days. Someone say four days. See, her brother's gone. She's probably like, I've dealt with this grief. Like, what are you doing? Like, listen, I'm trying to process this death, but even though there is a physical death, at times there may be a mental death that happens in our life and we've made a finality in our lives. That might be death in a particular relationship. That might be death in a friendship. That might be death in a mistake that you've made. That You know what? Oh, it's, it's over, man. There's nothing I could do about it. It's, got, it's, it's gone. Leave it. But we must remember that we serve a resurrecting, powerful God. It's been the four days. What are you doing? There's a stench there. Leave it. I don't even want to revisit it because the smell, the environment in and of itself, I don't want to go back to that place. Roll the stone away. Roll the stone away. Jesus says in verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place of where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42. And I know that you always hear me because of the people who are standing by. I say this, that they may believe that you have sent me. Verse 43. Now, when he had said these things, he cried a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Verse 44. And when he had, uh, sorry, and he who had died came out bound, hands and foot, with grave clothes, and, and with his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. I believe prophetically, as I digress slightly, that there are some areas in your life that you think are dead. Some positive things that you pray for that you think is too late. But I believe we serve a living king that can bring resurrection to those areas of your life. I believe we serve a king of kings and a lord of lords that the day death died, Jesus can resurrect the good thing, the purposeful thing for you, but you must learn to hold on to such a thing. Come forth. And if any of you guys ever find time to read John chapter 12, verse 9 through to 11, you will find out more and more and more that they were coming back to try and take out Jesus, but they're also coming back to try and take out Lazarus. They're coming back to take out Jesus, but also coming back to take out Lazarus. What? Hey? And one of the things I find fascinating, I'd like, imagine if they said, hey, Lazarus, I'm going to come and kill you. That's why I entitled this part. <laughs> Lazarus probably laughs in the face of death. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> me, I've seen it, my G. I'm back because God resurrected me. And there's nothing you could do to me. Because when the King of Kings raises you up, no matter what man says, no matter what the enemy says, you know that you answer to the one that can bring things that were dead back to life. You answer to the one that can bring life no matter how long you've been in that tomb, no matter how long a situation or circumstances has been dead in your life, Lazarus laughs in the face of death. And I think us too, as children of the true and living God, know that the power of death can never compete with the power of the living God that has conquered death and could also bring things back to life. Lazarus laughs in the face of death. The next point I want us to bring up is point number three. We pass through death when we choose love to and to forgive 
and to live for Jesus. We pass through death when we choose to love, when we choose to forgive, and when we choose to live for Jesus. First John chapter 3, verse 14 through to 16 goes as follows. We know that we have passed through death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. I'll pause there for a moment. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Therefore, it's important for us to love our brother and our sister. I believe the enemy tries to sow contention amongst families and friends and sometimes the brothers and sisters within the fold, the ecclesia, the church, the body of Christ in order to bring a numbness, in order to bring a severing, in order to bring a separation amongst us. Because when there's a separation, it means that we don't ultimately, we don't ultimately heed and have the heart of God. But when we're willing to say, God, you know what? I remember what they did to me, but I will choose. I'll make an active choice, regardless of my emotions. Not neglecting my emotions, but reminding that even though my emotions feel this way, your word has told me to choose to love, choose to forgive, choose to move forward, and know that I too must learn to love again. I too must learn to love my brother and my sister because I don't want to abide with death. Verse 15 goes as follows. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and he and, and you know that no murderer has eternal life can abide in him. These are strong words. These words are not minced or mild or watered down. These are strong words. But when I read these words, even though I'm aware that at times it is difficult, it is extremely difficult, Sometimes it may even feel impossible to forgive, love, or move past the pain that your loved ones have done, caused upon you, or even your fellow neighbor has done to you. I believe it's imperative for us to ask God and the Holy Spirit to be the strength that will help us forgive again, to be the strength that will help us love again. If there's one thing I've, I, I personally try to share with some of my friends, my mentees, and those that when we talk about grief or when we talk about forgiveness, I'm like, you know, forgiveness is not an instant, but it is a process at times. And the beginning of forgiveness doesn't always start with you feel, having the feeling to forgive, but it does begin the process of it. But if there's one thing for me, it might not work for everybody, that I usually works for me when it comes to navigating forgiveness and choosing to have the heart of God, is that I always remind myself that, Emmanuel, if the very person I have a grievance against or a person has a grievance against me or the thoughts I have towards the person, God forbid, but if, they, if I was to hear news that they just passed away, would I be content with the last conversation I had with them? It's something I, I personally do. Whenever I feel disappointed in somebody, I always ask myself, Emmanuel, like, God forbid, if they were to really pass away and I got that message, am I happy with the way I left the situation? And if not, I try my best to take it upon myself to see what I could do to navigate that situation, to bring peace, to bring alignment in order that I can move forward with life because the words that we're seeing here is that there is no eternal life for those that abide in such a space of unforgiveness because at times you're maybe more fine-tuning your mind to walk in something that's death and that's why I would tell you be careful of the language we use because at times we're good at using language, oh, that person's dead to me, they're dead to me. Meaning that there's a separation, there's a severing. No, I don't kick it with them. I don't conversate with them. And it's okay. Remember, because you forgive, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to reconcile or rebuild the old relationship. But it does mean we need to be at peace with God, at peace with our heart, 
and walk in that freedom in order for us to move forward. We pass through death when we choose to love, choose to forgive, and when we choose to live for Jesus. John 8 verse 51 goes, Most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. That doesn't necessarily mean we wouldn't experience it. But because we pass through, we will never eternally see death because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My next point that I want to raise is entitled The Valley, the Table, and the House. The Valley, the Table, and the House. Please turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 23, and I'm going to read from verse 4 through to 6. Psalms 23, I'm going to read from verse 4 through to 6. Are you guys there? Yea, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I'll pause there for a moment. Some of our experiences, whether it be real life physical death or experiences that actually feel like death at times. I remember speaking to um, some of my friends that have been divorced and we've had conversations like, what? What's the process felt like? They're like, it feels like death. It feels like death. At times we've, lose, we've lost loved ones. At times we're going through situations, whether it be at work or in relationships or friendships or some of our fellow brothers and sisters in, in various countries of per- where they're being persecuted and they're running for their life while still proclaiming the gospel. And it feels like death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I would fear no evil. Notice it doesn't say some evil. No evil. Tell your neighbor, no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We're seeing the shepherd here that is, that is comforting the sheep. Verse 5. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I've said in a sermon prior that even though what I'm about to say is not directly connected to the exact time of when the scripture was written, is to say there is times where God will help grow us by placing us in the presence of our enemies. He'll grow you. Some of us are changing jobs because we don't like the people we work with. But maybe God is keeping you there to grow you. Some of us are experiencing things that's happening amongst our friends and family, and we feel like they are our enemies. Maybe God is telling you to sit down at the table so he can grow you. You anoint my head with oil. I told you when I read scripture... God, I'm quite creative and God shows me so many things. I don't know if you've ever seen it, even probably now my face looks really greasy. But the thing I always say is that when I was a child and I used to go to nursery, my mom used to get that Vaseline, put her whole hand in it, slap my face, and she just rubs it like that. To me, that's childhood trauma, but that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> and I used to just grease my whole face with Vaseline. <laughs> if I didn't bath for five days, my face would look equally as shiny. And as I was reading that scripture where it says, you anoint my head with oil, it reminds me that when God anoints you one day, even though you don't feel weeks later, days later, that power that came upon you, know that he still anointed you further down the line. Just like Vaseline that still keeps his shine, God will continue to anoint you further down the line. It's there. It's there. It shines. You will glow. And nothing can ever make it expire. It says, my cup runs over. Surely, I love this part, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. 
I don't know how many of you guys have seen all those old school shows like Emmerdale and those country shows where there's the shepherd and there's the sheep and he, he has this whistle and he blows it for the sheep dogs. I can't do the sound effects, but you guys got out there. <laughs> See, some of you ladies are like, oh my days, the guys called me like that once upon a time. Don't worry, that's a story for another time. But when you begin to, and they use those sheep dogs and they whistle and they blow and they command the sheep dogs to go and pause to move closer, not bring them this way or bring them that way or bark at them. Some of, bark, some of the things we've experienced. God, why is that happening to me? It's to get us in line so we can go in the direction that God wants us to go. See, see, those things that seem, why are you disciplining me? Why, why are you keeping me here is to help you keep you on the narrow straight. And even at times and in seasons, they seem painful. Maybe that is what is the goodness and the mercy that is following you. The sheepdogs are following you. The sheep are going astray. No, no, I'm following you. And you're like, oh God, that relationship hurt me, man. Yeah, I had to get you out of that to keep you on the narrow straight. Oh, but God, man, I really loved that job and I was growing, I was making so much money. God, how, how come, why, why did they speak? Why did the enemies, why did they speak about me in that job and I've lost my job? No, God, man, fight for me. Maybe it's God that put them there to get you out of that job because maybe the money that you was earning was helping you grow cold and callous and God will see your demise and your destruction as you was heading towards a broad path and goes, I need to get you out of that place. See, goodness and mercy because his mercy is new every morning. But even as one season expires, another one is being birthed. And God is bringing you to a new place to grow and to glow. It says, all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. For what? Forever. The day death died. Forever. Forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 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 There is no gun. There is no death. There is no situation that anyone could put you under. That could ever take away your forever. In the house of the Lord forever. The king of the king of kings and the Lord of Lords says that there's gonna be a place where you'll dwell with me forever. Which means that the conversation at times of death could be so fleeting and so small in light of the forever that awaits us. Let us focus on the present, but also remembering that there's gonna be a time I'm gonna spend forever with my heavenly father. My next point goes as follows. Some, some things may not make sense when it comes to death. Some things may not make sense when it comes to death. I love how Job put it in Job chapter 1 verse 20 through to 22. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. Don't worry, you guys don't look at me. And he fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. In all of this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. This is important. Because Job don't know what's going on. Doesn't know what's happening. But he's lost his children, he's lost his livelihood, and he's left with his wife and his friends. He's lost it all. He's lost his health. He doesn't know what's going on. And at times, I always say that maybe the depth of our conviction and our faith is the depth of our faith dependent on the condition of our lives. What do I mean by that? We've been hearing the rhetoric of soft life, soft life. Yeah. What happens if your life is not soft? Do you still serve God? What happens if your life is hard and painful? Do you still worship him? What happens if your life has gone through turmoil and the things you've prayed for, fasted for, hasn't come to pass? Are you still going to say he is good? 
Or are you now going to neglect God? Is there a condition to your faithfulness in Christ? Because it tells me here, in all of this, in all of this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. And ultimately, in life or in death, he doesn't blame God. And the enemy is constantly wrestling with our mind, with our thoughts, with our emotions. Blame God then. It's not going for you now. Yeah, forget God then. And what we forget is that one way to blame God without cursing God or even speaking to God is to walk away from God. And so many people have walked away from God because of either grief or experience that they felt not knowing the very thing you're walking away from is the very thing that's given you the power to walk in the first place. Let us not be in such a place. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2 through to 4 goes as follows. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that it is the end of all men and the living will take it to heart. And sorrow is better than laughter for by the sad countenance of the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of the mourning but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. When I read this, in short, one of the things I believe is telling me is to remain sober-minded. And when you've gone to funerals, count the cost of life. Because we could go to parties. Oh, that party was lit. That party was live. That party was dope. I enjoyed it. Yeah. But guess what? We still want another party. But we don't want another funeral. We'll go to another party, but we don't want to go to another funeral. Because there's lessons learned in funerals. The countenance of man is felt in a particular, it moves in a particular way in a funeral that makes you count the cost. But there are experiences when you're at a funeral that allows you to be sober-minded to remember to count the days and to make the days count. That you know what, life is fleeting. And I, and I need to maximize my life, whether it's to write a book, whether it's to worship, whether it's to pray, whether it's to evangelize, whether it's all of the above and more. Let us remember that there is wisdom when we see situations when it comes to death. What I mean by wisdom, things that we can learn from, things that we can grow through, things that we could realize that even I don't fully understand that, I'm not going to allow my emotions to dominate me. But I will continue to worship the King of Kings and seek his face because he's the one that gives me life and he's the one that I want to direct my life. My next point is this, life and death is unto the Lord. Life and death is unto the Lord. Romans chapter 14 verse 8 goes as follows. If we live, we live unto the Lord. If we die, we die unto the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. I want to, I share that to say this, that please let us not go into that, that thought of folly where we believe that we are self-made or that I own my own life or that this is my life. Now, I do what I want. It's unto the Lord's. It's unto the Lord's. We are still subject to the Lord. Everything we do, even the, the, the free will that we have, <laughs> we are still unto the Lord. We are still going to face the Lord. And the world wants us to make us believe that we are God and we have full control of eternity and everything. And we forget that whether we live or we die, we are still Onto the Lord, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7 goes, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. We return to the one who gave it. The day death died, we return unto him. Psalms chapter 48, verse 14, For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. He will be our guide even unto death. 
And there is so much power in knowing who the true and living God is. Another thing for us to remember when we look at life and death is unto the Lord is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read from verse 42 through to 45, which goes as follows. So also in the resurrection of the dead, the body is sown in corruption and it is raised in incorruption. Verse 43. It is sown in dishonor and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. It is sown in the natural body and it is raised in the spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, i.e. Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. Came to give us life. A life-giving spirit. You see, when you have a life-giving spirit, and the one who conquered death lives in you. It, it, it's, it's like, I don't know how many, I don't know what to describe it apart from one, one example that came to mind. Has anyone played the old school Super Mario before? Old school Super Mario. You guys know that there's very things that you can eat. You can eat the mushrooms and stuff. But there's something that I find powerful in that game Super Mario. Do you know what it is? The star. You know when you eat that star, yeah? No matter what enemies in front of you, you just keep running through it. Come on, touch me, Knock you out, my G. You see, but when you have the mushroom, even when you get hit, oh, it shrinks you down. See, sometimes the mushrooms of life, the gifts of life, the things that we get in this life make us believe that, yeah, we're bigger than we are. And so life hits us and then we shrink. But when you have the living star, the spirit of God that lives inside of you, you go through death and death cannot take you out. You go past death. You see the obstacles that try to take you out in this life called death. The obstacles that are to take you out. But guess what? Because of the living God inside of you, you don't fear any man. But you only fear God. You don't fear what man can do to you. But you only fear the one that can destroy both the body and the soul. I don't fear, man. And one thing I want us to understand today as we look at the Eternity series, the day death died, is that we serve a God that killed death. Therefore, we will never die. But we pass through death and we have eternal life. Are you willing to hold on to Christ? Are you willing to go back to find dead religion and dead idols and dead things that still lead to death in our own life? Because the true and living God, who is the author of time, is the one that wants us to have eternal life with him. We conquer these things. And this leads to me to my very, very fine final point, which is death is not your final destination. Death is not your final destination. A few scriptures for me to share with you here is one from Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, which goes as follows. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. What I believe is important for us to know is that this side of eternity is just the training ground of life. But also, when you're going through the training of life, how many of you guys remember the days of GCSEs? A-levels. How many of you guys are still using those things in your place of work today? Yeah? And for some of us, are like, okay, I'm still using that. And for some of us, are like, I don't remember when I even last used algebra. But some of these things are the training ground of life to prepare us for the real life to come. Eternity, the plan in the head. There's no more death. There's no more sorrow. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. 
<laughs> when I heard that, I said, amen, boy, because this left knee has been playing up for the past few years. There's no more pain. There's no more pain. Amen. Some of you guys, amen, needs to be bigger than that, boy. Amen. Because our relationship with pain is what keeps us quiet. But when we know there's no more pain, it means that our amen awaits the very thing that God has in store for us. There's no more weeping. But what does Luke tell us in Luke 23, verse 43? And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He's on the cross. Another thief is on the cross. The world religions that we have tell us to do good, be better, do better, do good deeds, and then you can inherit the kingdom of God. But this man has no time. His time is up. He's dying. But Jesus tells him which day? Not tomorrow. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's important for us to know that death is not his final destination. It wasn't for him and it's not for us. Another thing for us to remember is also looking at Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 to 22. It goes as follows. For since by man came, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For Adam all died. Even so in Christ all shall be made alive. The only way for us to truly live is to live in Christ. The only way for us to truly live is to live for Christ. The only way for us to truly understand what awaits us is to understand the one that came from eternity to be with us. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came to tell us three powerful words. Three powerful words. Three powerful words. And we live in a world, the majority of the world, believes those three powerful words are what? Anyone want to share? I love you, right? But I also believe that Jesus took it to another level. Sometimes the words somebody only wants to hear from their loved ones, I love you, I love you. See in movies, do you love me, do you love me? Then you've seen that meme where the baby's slapping his dad, do you love me? Yes, I love you, do you love me? And I'm like, do you love me? The world just wants to hear, do you love me? I love you, I love you. But not only did, does Jesus say, I love you, there's another three words on the day death died that Jesus affirmed to remind us of those words. And those words are, it is finished. Want to know the way love is displayed? When it's fully complete. It's finished. Turn with me to John chapter 19. I'm going to read from verse 28 through to 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. He's on the cross. He's thirsty. I thirst. Verse 29. Now a vessel full of sour wine. Someone say sour wine. Sour. Was sitting there. And they filled a sponge with sour wine. Put it on a hyssop. And put it in his mouth. The same Jesus that showed us his eternal power from turning water to wine. Not only was it water to wine, it was water to sweet wine, ripe wine, beautiful wine, priceless wine. And we gave the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords sour wine. Why did they give him sour wine, some of you might be asking. It's because they wanted to keep him alive enough while they continued to persecute him. Stay alive. Keep him alive. I don't know if any of you guys have ever watched that movie, Man on Fire. Not Man on Fire, sorry. Um, Gerard Butler. Law-abiding citizen. There's, there's a crazy scene where 
Um, he tries to keep the man alive while he tries to punish him for all the atrocities that happened in his life and through the case that he went through. They tried to do the same thing. Let's keep him alive long enough while we continue to persecute him. Sour wine. The worst of the worst, but they wanted to keep him alive while they wanted to kill him and punish him. Verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Notice it says he gave up his spirit. What is happening there? The greatest exchange is taking place. It's done. I display my love for you by completing my mission and saying that even though you treat me like this, it's done. I'm not going to retaliate, but I'm going to resurrect and show you that I love you. I'm going to tell you it is finished. The Greek word of understanding the word it is finished is similar to when the tax collectors used to give somebody a bill. And when that bill was cleared and paid for, the word it is finished is also synonymous with it is paid in full. Your debt, your pain, your problem, your past, everything you've ever experienced, Jesus says, it is finished. I love you. It's paid for in full. Let us be a people that we magnify the Savior. Let us be a people that our soul will remain to be satisfied. Because when we understand the day death died, the day death died, the moment Jesus said, it is finished. It's finished. There's no more death. Is there an experience of death? In various areas of our life. But should we fear death? No. 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 Don't fear it. We don't know what sort of persecution and times will come in these perilous times of this world. But I prophetically want to say that those who do not fear death but live for God are willing to be like Lazarus that laughs in the face of death. It says, I will remember the words, it is finished, rather than I will kill you. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. And what I want to do today is that I want to pray for various types of people today. And I'll ask for everybody at the moment, if you're online, if you're here present, to bow your head and close your eyes. Is as we're looking at the Eternity series, I want to do two types of prayer points. If there is any type of death, whether it's a, a grief you're still wrestling with, a near-death experience that you might have had, or you feel that you may be having, I want you to stand. The second type of prayer point I'm going to ask if that anybody feels that there's any area of their life where something is dead but they know God has called them to or something that they desire that they believe aligns with God's perfect will for their life I believe that Jesus has resurrected power to bring that thing that is dead back to life and I'm going to ask you to stand please stand if you are online watching wherever you are please stand where you are if you are online and just raise your hands together, church, for those that are standing. And we're going to pray that we believe the things that will try and bring death in our life, whether it's something related to health, Jesus has resurrecting power to bring it back to life. Whether it's something that we lost, we serve a, a, redeem, a God that has redeeming power. Let's pray, Heavenly Father, Lord God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for every soul in this place. Whether it be physical death, 
death related to health, death related to something that relates to their family, a family member that may be ill, death related to a career choice, death to the things of the mind where you feel that depression is trying to bring death into your life, stand. Because we're gonna bring we're gonna bring that, that thoughts and those things of depression to, to the throne of grace where God will remove it from you. Heavenly Father, I thank you, O oh God, for my brothers and sisters that I've chosen to stand. For the word of God tells us when you could do, whenever you've done everything with all your might, stand once again. Lord, as we stand, I pray for healing, I pray for restoration. I pray that even the thoughts where Martha said there's a stench, leave the stone there, that we get out the way because sometimes we are blocking the way for a redeeming power, for the power and the miraculous power to be birthed in our, in our bodies, in our minds, in our loins. Father, I pray that every spirit of depression, you will die on the day they've died and I pray that you come alive. The spirit man and the spiritual woman come alive. For the word of God tells us in John 10, 10, that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. I pray that the living God will breathe new life into your body, new life into your soul, new life into your mind, new life into your being, new life into your spirit, new life into your organs, new life, oh God. I pray for the living God to breathe new life into you. Those that are present here today, those that may be watching this in the future, new life for God, fresh wind, fresh wind in every single soul in this place. For those that the doctor said you've only got this amount of time to live, that I pray that the great physician will bring healing to your bones. Jehovah Rapha, heal your church, heal them in their minds, heal them in their bodies, heal them in their career, heal them in their purpose. Every fear of death be cast away. And every faithful saint, say amen once again. For the true living God has come to set you free so you can have life and life more abundantly in him and in him alone. And as you take your seats, I pray that everyone continues to keep their eyes closed. And have